Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Commercial with a state podcast. Back to the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Wright. And I'm your sometimes host, Matt Scalina. Matt, how you doing? I'm doing well, Corey. Feather in my own cap. I walked into the office this morning. It's casual Friday, wearing a t-shirt. And uh, one of the people I pay to be here said I looked like a teenager. Great. That's, <laughs> don't know if I can beat that at all, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, I know. I feel pretty good about myself. I, I, she I, may get a raise. I called you Gumby. She told you to look like a teenager. <laughs> There you go. But yeah, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling really excited about today. We got Tim Lack on the show from Red Point Law. Amazing guy. Quite the character. And yeah. Extremely, extremely knowledgeable. You know what? He reminds me, he doesn't, he, he feels like uh, people I know from not Vancouver. He feels like he should be from New York or somewhere. Yeah. You know, a little bit different pace. He operates at a different pace than most Vancouverites. Yeah, he's probably got more brains in his one hand than me and you have probably combined in our bodies. <laughs> there you go. It took a lot of convincing to get him to come. <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. And Corey, you sound like you have COVID, but I've been assured that you don't. I don't. I have tested negative a couple times in a row. And you look I'm, like you're about to pass out. <laughs> <laughs> my problem is I just don't shut up. So I, my, I guess my voice just sounds like this. I feel amazing. I'm on the Peloton every morning. Yeah. You know, I feel great. You look uh, great. Well, that's the other song you didn't make that, any comment that, that, about you, but you don't pay. The, you don't the, pay her to be here. So that's the overstatement of the year you just said there. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So don't worry. I feel great. I look average. Well, here's the thing. I just don't sound good. <laughs> we're, we're lucky Adam's not here because he's a little bit more cautious about this. In part because I've had COVID and I feel like my immunity is very high level right now. Yeah. But. Uh, We've been trapped in a small studio for probably 45 minutes now, and I'm basically catching your spit yeah. as you're talking to Tim. And it wasn't until after we ended that conversation, you said, don't worry, I tested negative this morning. <laughs> <laughs> but I've been assured it's just because you're really busy. You're on the phone all day. Your That's voice my is shot. That's my problem. I just don't shut up. I'm hoping you're right. <laughs> I'm hoping you're right. Because I've heard sometimes people test negative and then they test positive. I'm just following protocol. So don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> All right. Well, maybe we should talk to our, our conversation with Tim because this is this is kind of a what's changed in law during COVID, but also just he's been around for a long time in the legal world, top, top performer, top mind, and yeah. what to look for. Whether you're a landlord, tenant, or buyer, these are the top tips. Well, these are things that obviously there's been so much change has happened. And you know, if you're a landlord or a tenant, depending on what asset class you're in, you've gone through unprecedented challenges over the past couple of years. And that generally may or may not get reflected in your current lease and may or may not get reflected in future leases. So we wanted to wanted to pick Tim's brain and sort of, you know, how does force majeure play out? Is it a pandemic-related issue? That can be claimed. How is that? So he touches on that. He also talks about challenges on the buy and sell side with regards from the legal aspect. He provides some great advice on the legal aspect of things that you mean your realtors should be doing for you when you're buying property and stuff like that. So 
lends a whole bunch of great insight on sort of what's transpired and and drops a couple case law stories in there for us of things that have happened and, and just kind of puts things into context. And he makes some really, really good points about like, you know, no one goes into a partnership to buy a building thinking they're going to get divorced. That's right. Right. So what you got to do in that aspect as well. So it provides a lot of really good insight. No, it's a half hour well worth, well worth a half hour of your time. But before we get to our talk with Tim, Corey, what else do we have? We're sponsored by our great friends over there at Impact Commercial Group with over 50 years of lending experience for all your commercial lending needs. Visit them at impactcommercial.ca. Okay, well, let's cut to our talk with solicitor and partner at Red Point Law, Tim Lack. Okay, so we're here with Tim Lack, solicitor and partner at Red Point Law. How are you doing, Tim? Oh, I'm doing great. Happy Friday to you both. Yeah, thanks so much for taking the time, Tim. Maybe for our listeners, can we start with you telling us a little bit about yourself? It sounds like you have a history in in radio. Oh, I've done radio shows for other clients, and I've actually been on CBC Radio a few years ago talking about the so-called shadow flipping that you may have heard about back in 2016. That was when... uh, People were assigning contracts and and the poor seller didn't know that their property was worth way more than it was. So I've had the opportunity in the past to pass on my knowledge to to people. I've been at this game for about 28 years now, and I don't mind kicking down the walls for my clients and getting the job done. Nice. Well, Tim, one reason why we wanted to have you on. COVID has dramatically changed most people's lives over the past couple of years. I can't imagine the impact it's probably had on the law world and things that you guys have had to deal with. So we wanted to have you on today. We're just going to give you a runway because you're just 10 times smarter than both me and Matt combined. So, whoa. Speak <laughs> <laughs> for yourself. <laughs> so, I mean, we want to ask you so, obviously, over these past two years, what have some major changes been and how have they affected it? And, um, you know, if you got some great case law you want to share, we'd love to hear it. Sure. You know, March 2020, the whole world was scared. You know, Chicken Little was out thinking the sky was falling. And in the real estate world, in British Columbia anyway, Things stalled for, what, a day and a half, if not? <laughs> and, then we, and, and then we just ran away with it. The activity level, whether you talk to the people at the land title office, whether you talk to my fellow solicitors, whether you talk to the realtors, commercial or residential, things have been gangbusters. It's so funny. I talked to a group of lawyers last night, and everybody says, what can we actually attribute this to, and is there any end in sight? And no one had a really good answer other than the fact that maybe people were sitting on cash and looking to put it out in something safe. Yeah. Yeah. And so and and so I feel like every lawyer, every professional really I've talked to since well, let's say call it July of twenty twenty, every time I talk to them, they're like, I'm running, I'm like in full sprint mode, right? It sounds like at Red Point Law it's it's the same. What's changed in the in the legal world in the last couple of years? Uh, I'll tell you that doing things remotely has probably been the biggest change for both solicitors and litigators. I remember seeing my litigation guys in front of a screen, you know, the full day in court. Don't forget, it's still hurry up and wait in litigation world. There's waiting for them to be called on in a queue on a screen, but there they are sitting in front of a screen waiting to be called up just like they would in the courthouse. 
In a solicitor's practice, we got some leniency from the land titles office who changed their rules as well as the law society who said, hey, the world has changed. You guys can now sign up certain types of documents, certain types of clients remotely. So has that made it easier? And surprisingly, a lot of lawyers embraced it. And now, you know, as, as we saw last summer, things we thought we were out of the woods, you know, lawyers were back to seeing clients in person. It is just still a personal relationship you have with your client. You want to get a feel for what they're doing, what their anxiety level is on, on a purchase or a sale or some other types of transaction. And that's hard to get when you're just marching them through a set of documents remotely. So, you know, I often say to my clients, when people phone me, it's almost like they get nervous and they want to speak to me in the same type of language that they think the, the, the law books speak to. I say, hey, whether it's a, a guy drywalling your basement or a financial advisor or a lawyer, you speak to them the way you'd like to speak to them. Ask the hard questions and don't be shy to ask about pricing. They're so nervous, like, what's your hourly rate? Well, a good number of my solicitor friends, we don't charge by the hour. There's pretty much a flat fee, and I'm sure you can attest to that, Matt, that for residential real estate, you know going into it when you're buying or selling exactly what your lawyer costs are going to be. Right, right. But it is funny, you know, because like any good realtor, anytime a tough question comes up, I say, you better consult a lawyer or an accountant. And everybody's terrified to actually consult a lawyer or an accountant. Yeah, and that's unfortunate. And that's probably a mistake that emerged out of our industry that people are scared to pick up the phone and ask a question. I'm on the phone all day. You know, my, my assistants and my paralegals are mad at me that I spend so much time on the phone. But that's what it takes to alleviate those legal concerns that people have. And it sounds like, Tim, you're working on behalf of both buyers and sellers in both residential and commercial real estate? 100%, yes. Every day, all day. Lots of lots of lending work, secured lending work for, you know, whether it's the banks, the credit unions, or lots of private lending work out there too. The private lending game has really emerged in, in the last few years. I don't know if the banks have tightened up for their credit or their, or their due diligence or their underwriting has changed. But, you know, I, I belong to a few different mortgage associations more for the broker and lender side. And, and I just see the numbers growing in that space, that private lending space. Yeah, that's interesting. I feel like I've seen the same and it's kind of puzzling, right? Because it doesn't feel like it felt to me, at least like, at least on the residential side, that the big banks tightened up in 2018. And of course, with the stress test, but just generally, they were just tightening up over 2018, 2019. And then it's now it's felt like you know, they're back to the way they were operating in kind of 2016, 2017, kind of the pendulum swung back. It seems a little bit easier. And yet, yeah, private money seems to be big it's business right now. Yeah. And then the numbers support your observations. The private game continues to grow. I'm pretty BC centric, but I hear that across Canada. You know, I wonder just thinking about, and this is totally outside of, this is more like the conversational style of the, of the podcast more than anything yeah. else. But you know, with the Bank of Canada potentially raising interest rates next week and all this higher interest rate private money sloshing around in the market, I wonder what impact that has in the next year, year and a half with potentially, you know, three to five or three to six interest rate increases by the Bank of Canada. I know that's a real fear. And they say young people, it's harder and harder with the runaway pricing, whether it's here or Toronto or, or even now, people are moving out of, outside of the urban centers and moving to smaller locales. Just the runaway pricing. Now, if you add a higher interest rate to that, it's pushing the 20 and 30-year-olds out of the market. 
or what you and I may have thought about 10, 15, 20 years ago. I don't know how old you are, Corey and Matt. 22. Uh, 21. <laughs> 21 and 22 over here. Free almost. <laughs> <laughs> I, still, I still can't buy liquor at a government store. With my, I'm not old enough yet. <laughs> yeah, you're still getting ID'd. <laughs> Tim, what in your mind, and maybe I'd be curious if there's a differentiation here between the commercial and residential side, but maybe thinking about the commercial real estate specifically, what are the biggest risks you see for people purchasing commercial real estate that come through your office? Oh, wow. Probably just the tenant arrangements. A lot of industries, a lot of tenants that you'd want as a tenant traditionally have been hit hard by COVID. The hospitality is being killed. Other industries have done remarkably well. But And then, then of course, e-commerce has changed everything too. The bricks and mortar tenants, you know, they're having a tough go of it. The Amazons of the world or those big e-commerce companies and delivery companies are probably can affect more tenants than you think. Yeah. So as a purchaser of commercial, you have to think long term about that industry as what industry your tenants are in. Now, are you advising clients on maybe on the landlord side or even the tenant side? Is there new things that are being added into leases? Obviously, there's force majeure and and there's probably stuff that probably circulates around how if COVID is or isn't included. Is there stuff that you guys are recommending to put into leases? Oh, that's hilarious, Corey. Yeah, I think March or April last year, everybody was scrambling to come up with the best force majeure clause that includes pandemics, which probably a word that had never shown up in a lease prior to that. You know, Corey, it's funny. A client asked me, why does it have to be 65 pages, Tim? Come on. Are you trying to make more money? Why does my lease have to be 65 (laughs) pages? My tenants don't want to read this. Well, you know, some people say some landlords don't want their tenants to read what's in there. (laughs) In fact, there's a suggestion that there's sometimes there's no table of contents because they don't want the tenant to have a ready, you know, flip through it readily and and see what's in there or not in there. But let's take a step back there. Okay, recently there was a case, and it's it's a pretty popular spot here in Vancouver. It was a lounge that was in, of all places, the Trump Hotel here on Georgia Street in downtown Vancouver. Uh, The allegations against the tenant was that they were ignoring health and safety uh, COVID protocols, that they were ignoring certain types of liquor restrictions that were put on them, and that there was a certain level of gang activity. So most landlords would say, yeah, that's bringing my hotel and my building into disrepute, and I want these guys out of there. So they scrambled and they got this, this place shut down virtually overnight. Whether or not it was overnight, I might be embellishing that. So the tenant goes off to court and says, hey, listen, there has to be a duty of good faith as well as there has to be a time to cure. And the court sided with the landlord and said, no, not when there's like this outrageous conduct going on. And so when when I look through those 65 pages, I say to my clients, and I've said this to other lawyers the other day, guys, we got to tighten up our language because I would like to have availed myself of, of those remedies many times in the past where I can jump in there and shut a guy down if he's doing something that's pretty outrageous. So if your lawyer's giving you 65 page leases, it's because we're trying to cover off every eventuality there is. And come this time, five years from now, it might be 75 pages. <laughs> so and with COVID, yeah, everybody's scrambling to see if there's there's a ready mechanism on the tenant side, if they can push back against the landlord because their business is down. And generally there isn't. 
you know, whether it's a federal program set up to help out these small businesses or whether or not it's just the good naturedness of the of the of the landlord saying, okay, I'm going to give you guys a break. In, in my personal life, I've done that for some of my commercial tenants that that I hold outside of law. It just it wasn't fair to hit these guys hard. I figured they're good tenants, they're nice tenants. There's long-term leases in place. I can take it a little bit on the chin, just like they are. Right. But that's not that's not law. That's just good business. Right. And just going back to the force majeure clause, yeah. can we, for people listening that are kind of unclear on exactly what the intent okay. there is to include pandemics and how that kind of plays out? Well, it, sometimes people know the act of God clause. So this is where something so catastrophic, you know, what, what have we seen in the province? We've seen soaring heat, you know, take its toll on, on people and, and, and business generally. We've seen floods like we've never seen before with, with complete farms completely swamped out. We've seen towns decimated with fire. So, you know, these are almost, you know, biblical type issues. So force majeure is supposed to address those things that, that are just blindsiding a whole community or the world at large. And the pandemic, people are looking to see that the pandemic fit that category. And it may or may not have, depending on how tight your language was. And that's why, you know, we're two years into this pandemic and guys have had occasion to revisit leases, you know, a five-year lease or a 10-year lease, you know, what is that? That's 20% of leases have come up during the pandemic. And who, just to be clear, who does that clause protect? Like, is it there to to protect the owner of the property, the the landlord? Is it there to protect the tenant? That's a great question. Generally, it it protects the tenant because it's the tenant whose business is being affected. There's there's enough clauses in, in most general commercial leases that protect the landlord who says, if my building is destroyed, you know, such that, 15% 15% or 20% of my building is damaged, I have a right to shut down the whole building and, 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 and bring this lease to an end so that I can do the repairs. So a force majeure clause, it's probably drafted to help both the landlord and the tenant. But just thinking out loud here, it's probably your tenant who says, there's a flood. No one's buying my products that I'm selling. I need to avail myself of this clause. Has there been a lot of disputes that you've heard of uh, over the pandemic that a tenant says, yes, this is covered, and a landlord says, no, you're not covered by force majeure in this circumstance, the pandemic I'm referring to? I, I've heard there's been lots of issues with tenants and landlords during the COVID period that's coming up to two years now. I, I, I don't have any ready case law on, on how that played out. On the lending side there, you'd mentioned, obviously, you guys are doing a lot of work for private yeah. lenders and stuff like that. Is there things going into these agreements now from the lending aspect that's addressing pandemics and how payments are to be dealt with or not dealt with in the event that you're buying a commercial property, my tenant's not paying me? Is that stuff that no. you guys are having to address at this point? No. I act for many lenders from Schedule A banks down to mom and pop putting out money through their RSPs. And no one, no one has come to me and say, oh, I want to help out my borrowers. Yeah. <laughs> now, you've seen the ads, you know, saying the larger lenders are out there running the feel-good ads, but 
they're still lenders and that's how they make money. Now, is it a good business to cut people some slack or at least show the press that you're cutting people slack or cut a little bit of slack for a period of a short period and milk that? Yeah, maybe there is some good business sense there, but the document still stands. I've lent you money, pay me back, pay me back. And then when you're done that, pay me back. <laughs> sounds like a good business to be into <laughs> sounds like my parents every time they call me <laughs> yeah so fellas you know we're, we're talking about this COVID and you know I don't have a crystal ball on and no one did no one saw this coming I mean what was it two years ago we were looking to see who's going to be in the Super Bowl and over over the commercial break, we talk about what's happening in other parts of the planet, and, and we think we're safe here in North America or other places in the world. And it doesn't take long for you know this to creep into our everyday life, all day, every day, for what is it, 22 months now, 22 months. And you know, government has to find a way to respond. There was another really good case that came out just recently, Corey, and it had to do with. The district of Seashell, there was a small development there that a developer went in and he was asked to put a covenant on title or had to grant a covenant to the district saying that they're aware of these geotechnical issues. And the geotechnical issues is that there could be sinkholes or, or something like that happening with this property. And, you know, every and then, of course, in 2012, they saw the first sinkhole. 2015, there was more sinkholes. By 2018, they said these houses are at risk. And they put some emergency orders in place that at the municipal level that, that was granted to them through provincial legislation. And now 136 renewals of this seven-day emergency order has happened. Now, I mentioned earlier that we've had, you know, heat, fire, floods, and everything else in between happen in the province in the last little while. And I think the message here out of the case was the judge says, you know, government, you can't keep renewing these these orders to keep people away from their homes, to keep people not knowing what you're going to do about it. And there has to be, a, at some point, a plan of action by, by the municipal government or, or the provincial government. But you can't keep availing yourself of these emergency orders and keep rubber stamping renewals. So the homeowners actually got compensated for being shut out of their homes since 2019. And I think that the message here is, other than, uh, I'll, I'll come back to this, but the message is government's got to look around and say, okay, we got to, if, if things do happen that we're not planning for, we got to get busy. We, 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 we've got to take care of people and, and we've got to just not sit back and say, Okay, here's what you can't do. It's time for us. What can we do? Now, that seashell case is also interesting because, and this speaks to, you know, you asked about what concerns are yeah. of a buyer of commercial property. You started off a while back with that question. Well, look at title. Make sure that when you're marching through the property, your realtor or your lawyer searches title to see what charges are on title. And this seashell property, there was a geotechnical uh, report on title that says you might have a problem here and it indemnified, which means that the, the district of Seashells was off the hook, even though they granted the building permit, they were off the hook because they're saying, I'll give you the building permit, but you have to understand you're doing this at your own risk. Okay. 
okay? And, you know, I think there was lawyers and notaries acting for buyers who were also roped in and saying, why didn't you check this for us? And Matt, like, how many times are you handing off a file to the lawyer to close and it's already subjects removed? So at, at what stage can I say to my client, you know, you've got a covenant on title here that says if your basement floods, you can't sue the city or the district or what have you. So I'm, I'm seeing more of those now where there's a covenant that says you have to have a sump pump. And, but if the sump pump fails or if the sump pump isn't sufficient, you still can't come after the district. We gave you a building permit, but we know that your nine foot basement is probably below the waterline. That's one thing in this industry that I know I, from the commercial standpoint, obviously, I mean, I'm going to, give a biased opinion here, how our team works. But that's one thing that we try to really, really encourage everybody is Good. is like, read those titles, order those charges. If anything on there comes back that is over our head, it ends yeah. up in that client's lawyer's inbox right away. Because we've had some titles on some properties that have gone on for like 13, 14 pages with airspace parcels and right. yeah. all of this stuff. And I have agents walk into my office and they'll give me this and ask me what this charge is. I said, go order it. And then we'll take a look at it. And I'm like, that's going to a lawyer's office because we want to make sure the client gets very clear insight on what they're buying. Because we see it all the time where a lot of times we're doing deals where we find stuff on titles that we're asking selling agents about and they haven't even looked at the title yet. And they're, they're now, the ones that the listen to the property. And the listeners today will, or, or down the road, if they revisit this podcast, will say, like, how frequent is that? Like, what could possibly come back and bite me on this? Yeah. Yeah. You know what? A lot of those charges that are on title are actually favorable. Like, it allows utility supply or, or, or utility suppliers and service providers to get in and fix something. Like, if you look at a high-rise title, there will be three or four pages of statutory rights of ways or rights of ways and, and, and in favor of utilities providers. Okay. Yeah. So that's, that's not a bad thing, but I have seen where a homeowner wasn't able to do a driveway from the road to their house because there was a green belt covenant <laughs> going across the front of his property. Oh, like, no. And it was strange to see that, and, and the background as to why it was there in the first place is even stranger, but the homeowner was not impressed and went after his legal professional who said, I think you should have brought this to my attention. And unlike a lot of cases where it's already a subject-free deal, yeah. um, by the time it hits my desk, there was occasions where the legal profession could have said, hey, we got a problem here. Well, I remember, and I, I won't use the brokerage who was selling this property. It was a property somewhere in the Tri-Cities. It was multiple oh, properties. Oh, come on. Give us the name. <laughs> <laughs> it was multiple properties being pitched as a development site. And I remember our broker wanted to write on it. And I first time I ever said, have you looked at the title yet? He said, I haven't got that far yet. I'm like, go get a copy of that title before you write. Sure enough, the marketing material was showing a four-story wood frame build with underground parking. And the titles come back, and all the undersoil rights belong to the Ministry of Transportation. Well, if you know Port Moody, there's something that goes through Port Moody to get into Burnaby called a SkyTrain. <laughs> so we yeah. dug into this, and all of the Ministry of Transportation had bought the undersurface soil rights under these houses to run the SkyTrain through. So you could, <sighs> you could not go below. And we looked into it, and we made some calls and talked to some people, and had a lawyer get involved. And they're like, you can't go underground here. 
Like the SkyTrain is within so much proximity. Like you're not going under, like it's prohibited. So we ended up having a conversation with the listing brokerage. And sure enough, the marketing material the very next week changes to a townhouse development with surface parking from a four-story wood frame with underground parking. And that's an example of a brokerage or an agent at a brokerage that admittedly never looked at the titles before they started marketing the property. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, to get back, yes, it's rare that something like that is there, but I don't know. What does it cost, you know, 15, 20 bucks to pull copies of charges? Yeah. It's, it's only, you'll, you'll spend four and a half million dollars on a commercial property. (laughs) Spend the 25 bucks. What that easement says. It's, it's amazing what some clients will spend on a property and the, the amount of money they don't want to spend on proper due diligence in case the deal doesn't go through. But the best money you can spend is the environmental or the legal advice or the charges and not buy the property then spend that then to avoid it buy the property and find out later you got a contaminated property or the lawyer you mean there's legal notations on that title that prohibit you from doing what you want to do all because you wanted to save two three four five thousand dollars during your due diligence phase or even half that yeah, yeah. exactly I, Corey, i'm with you and you brought up the environmental you know environmental professionals they do it kick-ass job. Am I allowed to say ass on the podcast? Sorry. Tim, you sponsor the show. You can say whatever you want on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) There has been a little bit of change here in British Columbia as to what needs to be disclosed. And it's shifted a little bit of that burden to the existing owner. So you brought up environmental. That's fundamental in a commercial purchase. Okay? Just, I, I can't emphasize that enough. Like, just because... People are scared of the unknown. The yep. Municipalities are scared of the unknown. Districts are scared of the unknown. Nobody wants to know what might be lurking underground there. Yeah. So, you know, when you oh, go into this purchase with your eyes open and get and, and make sure it's done right. And certainly your lenders, your lenders aren't going to lend to you without all the, everything in place. Well, that's one challenge that we see, especially in a market as hot as it is, especially in the industrial asset class, which is, you mean, yeah. you, you could pop up a tent with a for lease sign or a for sale sign on and tell someone it was zoned industrial and you'll get multiple offers on it. Like that's just how that marketplace works right now. And guys going in and buying land with no environmentals, unconditional in a bidding war that have gathered or collected the cash to close on it. And their answer is, oh, we'll just refinance it after. Yet you don't have an environmental test in an asset class yeah. that should more than any have it because if you have contaminant problems, you may not be getting a mortgage after the fact, depending on the contamination that may or may not be, or you might also have site migration of contamination yeah. from your site, which is, I mean, that's your world, Tim, but that's a whole nother legal mess. If your neighbor starts getting a nuisance and his soil, soil starts smelling from your soil. Yeah. Being downhill from a dry cleaner that's been there for <laughs> 65 years. <laughs> I shouldn't pick on dry cleaners, <laughs> but... You know, it, again, it's one of those industries that everybody, their hair is on fire when they hear that you had a, a commercial property with a dry cleaner on it or a gas station or something or a leather tannery. <laughs> <laughs> so, Tim, and we know we we know you have another uh, appointment here. I'm just thinking in terms of kind of big picture here, we've been talking about risks that, that you would advise clients to consider. Yeah. 
it seems like the the first one that was brought up is is the the tenancies, the agreements, especially during COVID. The second one, of course, is title to do your due diligence to definitely yeah. um, engage a solicitor like yourself prior to subjects coming off any purchase. Is there a is there a third risk? Oh, well, we touched on environmental, right. and then maybe just getting some good accounting and tax and how to structure the ownership. And if you're bringing in partners, do you have a good plan in place if one guy wants out? Yeah, right. Okay, so that that then that's where your corporate lawyers will come involved. Maybe your tax planning uh, lawyers will come involved, become involved. But you know, a lot of guys who don't want to do this alone. And they there's strength in numbers, so they want to bring in their buddies to do the deal with them. And, and and then for whatever reason, a guy's lifestyle changes. He goes through a marital issue, or he has sickness, and you don't want to become partners with his spouse or his brother. So structuring how you're going to do this deal with your partners is is really important early in the game. Tim, it, it's beautiful, Corey, Matt. I do lots of incorporations for ladies and fellas as they go into some new venture and they're, they're smiling and they're ready to take on the world. And then they say, can we get a shareholders agreement? And I'll give them, you know, a blank form of shareholders agreement saying, you know, help me out with, give me some of this information. And it never comes back to me or rarely comes back to me. And then a year and a half, two and a half, maybe five years later, they say, Oh, I'm, I'm fighting with my partner. Where's the shareholders agreement? Yeah. <laughs> and I dig through the records and I go, oh, yes, this was sent out and it never came back and you guys never finalized it. And that's unfortunate because guess what? Money does sour relationships. And, you know, there's a, there's an even chance that you're going to be looking to part ways with partners down the road. No, I, I Maybe in a happy you. setting or maybe in an unhappy setting. Well, Tim, before we get to... Uh our six pack here. I just wanted to say yeah. something. You made a comment earlier about how the yeah. law society or law industry, a lot of people fear picking up that phone. And I know recently, you know, oh, you, yeah. you guys, you know, you and Felco and Scott partnered up and you guys opened Red Point Law and we we do our best to send you as much work as we can as well as we use you guys a lot. And there's not a friendlier group of guys than you guys over there. And I have questions all the time. If if I call Scott over there all the time, and if he billed me by the minute, I'm sure my <laughs> paychecks would just go right into Red Point Law's account. But the ability to pick up the phone, ask a question, and not be scared that you're going to get billed for it is the guys over at Red Point Law have done a phenomenal job. They've been so incredibly helpful to us, and they've been so incredibly helpful to our clients of just getting basic baseline information questions to set them up for further transactions or acquisitions or dispositions. So you guys have done a great job over there and we really, really appreciate everything you guys have helped us with over, over time, Tim. Corey, I am going to qualify that. I do have an unfriendly side too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, I also Just watch me. Kick, kick, in the, kick down walls or break down walls, whatever you said at the start. Yeah. It's like, Tim's yeah. one of those guys he's better to have on your team than <laughs> to be on the other team. Yeah. Yeah. So, Tim, we, we have our six-pack sponsored by you guys there at Red Point Law. Do you have just a couple more minutes to hang out with us? Oh, absolutely. So, our six-pack is powered by the amazing lawyers over at Red Point Law. For all your commercial legal needs, visit them at redpointlaw.ca. 
All right, Tim, first question up. We're going to put you on the spot here to get going. We've, aye, aye, aye. we've pivoted the questions a little bit and depends on who's listening. Your answer could change, but what was the best Christmas gift you got this year? Uh, my daughter bought me a John Vavardos bracelet. Oh, very nice. And wow. she's 24 years old. She's living in Malibu. Oh, wow. Nice. So when I'm looking at my wrist, I think of her just living the dream and me grinding it out here. <laughs> to help pay for her dream. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Favorite band? Oh, gosh. That's an easy one. I've seen The Boss too many times. Oh, <laughs> Oh, I just saw, and actually, I think we're we're talking on the twenty first. I think this comes out today. A new John Mellencamp album with really? a song with the boss and John Mellencamp uh, singing about coming to the end of their lives. Actually, I watched it on YouTube. Pretty good. Well, one of the best concerts ah. that I've ever seen was when I I got to see Bruce Springsteen. Uh, 2012, 2013 at the Pacific Coliseum. And I'll be honest with yeah. you, going into the concert, I was going with a friend of mine who was a huge fan and I was kind of going as like the uh, the the sidekick guy who got the free ticket. I don't think I've ever seen so much energy in a concert for so long and just go and go and go. And it's it was it was one of the best concerts I've seen to date still. And that was that was Bruce Springsteen 2013, I think. Yeah, and you know what? Mellencamp I've seen three times as well. I've seen him showing up a couple times by his uh, opening acts. The guy's breaking the rules of of opening. You're not supposed to pick a really good opening act. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But if you're a Boss fan, I listen to a song by the Bleachers that the Boss sings on. You know what's funny? They were on Saturday Night Live this past week. Yeah, exactly. And that's what took me to their website. And the song that they sang, it's, it's called Chinatown. And on the studio version, uh, the boss sings on it. Really? Because I, I saw them on Saturday Night Live. I had no idea who they were. And I Neither thought, I. I thought, my God, this is Bruce Springsteen 20 years ago, like with the yeah. instruments and the look yeah. and the energy yeah. all over again. Yeah. So it's funny you say that. Next question. Favorite vacation spot when you find the time? Uh, my German roots take me back to Lake Constance in southern Germany. Wow. Good one. Favorite restaurant or bar? Guys, uh, I just spent too many hours last night with some law school buddies at the Vancouver Club. I'm going to shout out to the club that I belong to, but I guess that's too exclusive. So I'll go with Nightingale next door. Oh, yeah. Great restaurant. One piece of advice for anyone either looking to purchase or owners or tenants of commercial real estate. One, One piece of advice that you can leave us with. Tim. Okay. I I give this advice to every single purchaser, residential or commercial. Okay. Make sure every request by your lender, you answer promptly. I do a lot of private lending work and that so many times the private lending work falls into my lap because the schedule a bank or credit union or second tier lender has pulled the plug too close to the, the closing date. And, oh, no. and in this market, guys, I'm seeing so much vendor remorse yeah. so that, you know, to use the term, I have a gun to my head to close. And, and there's a vendor rubbing his hands together, hoping that we don't close. Okay. Yeah. And that's often my private lending deals because it landed in their lap literally days before because another lender had pulled the plug 
and didn't leave these guys with much room, and they got a hard and fast deadline to complete. So whether it's commercial, Corey, or yep. residential, Matt, if your lender wants something, get it to them. That, that's Good, great, that's advice. great advice. You know what? I was I was speaking with somebody earlier this week, and it's amazing how time is of the essence that some people just, it's the lackadaisical kind of nature of going through the transaction. It's like you can't, you're trying to stress. Uh, the seriousness of, of, of those timelines. Uh, that's great and, advice. And I'll tell you something. And, and on that note, you're dealing with so many different people at the, at the large banks and lending institutions. So the person that you're dealing with may not be the person really making the decision. Yeah. You know, the underwriting process, the mortgage approval process, the guys back east who finally give the go-ahead whether it's Toronto or Montreal or where, or what have you, or one of the towers here in Vancouver. There's a lot more people than the guy who's smiling or the gal who's smiling and saying, don't worry, we'll get it done. Yeah, yeah, that's great advice. Great advice. Tim, how can our listeners find out more about what you're doing and all the great work you guys are doing over there at Red Point Law? Google us. <laughs> no, well, you know what? I, I started off the conversation this morning saying that don't be shy to ask your professionals, whether it's, like I, I use the word drywaller, no disrespect, or your financial advisor, or your lawyer. You know, we're just guys that, you know, put our pants on one leg at a time, and we'd be happy to take your call and give you some guidance. Fantastic. Well, well. speaking of which, thanks for taking our call, Tim. Really appreciate your time, and, and that was a great and insightful conversation. Good. Thank you. I'm glad I, was, I could be of assistance. Excellent. Sounds good. Thanks so much for your time, Tim, today. We really appreciate it. Corey, I'm saying goodbye. All right. See you, Tim. Thanks a lot. See you. There you have it, guys. Our interview with Tim Lack, partner, solicitor at Red Point Law. Amazing. You know what? I feel like he's one of those guys where I'd want to ask him almost anything because he's oh. he's just there's a somehow a level of entertainment in the way yeah. that he just talks about anything. Great that is, storyteller. Yeah. And like you know, you meet those people, you're like, I would love to go for a glass of wine with him. Yeah. And just pick his brain and hear his stories. Tim is that guy. Right. Tim right. is right up on that list. Yeah. And the fact that he's a member at the Vancouver Club, that we can go there for a drink and hear his stories with his membership. Right. Even, even, <laughs> even better. Even better. Yeah, I was going to say, you're a, you're a member of the Vancouver Club? Uh, I'm pretty sure I can't. If I walked up to the front door, I'd get thrown out of there so fast. Even if you're, even if you're walking with him, yeah. they'll, they'll turn you around. Yeah, that's why I was wondering why he never asked me to go, but now it makes a lot of sense. No, it was a great conversation. The boss, it doesn't get much better than that. Yeah. What else do we got before we go, Corey? Well, there's a few things. We've got some great episodes lined up. In the next couple of weeks, we are very, very fortunate, very fortunate. I don't want to completely spoil it, but we've got one of the head senior economists from BMO Capital Markets Group in Toronto joining us. And this is next week. This is, I believe it's next week or the week after. Okay. But you guys stay tuned because if we, if we tell you it's next week and it's Then not, everybody's going to turn you, up. Then you got to show up the week <laughs> after. <laughs> but think of this, great conversation to have right after the Bank of Canada meets next Wednesday to talk about inflation and interest rates. Of course, a huge kind of component to the way commercial real estate works and how the numbers work. So that will be a great conversation. Looking forward to that. Yeah, it'll be great. And then also Billions. Oh, right. Of, of our, course. One of our best shows. I was going to say sponsored by Billions. <laughs> <laughs> Not my Billions, that's for yeah. sure. <laughs> but this is a Paul Giamatti vehicle. Oh, this is great. 
This is one of the best I've never shows. watched it. But if it's... you've watched Succession, yeah, and that's kind of on, you know, you're kind of into those type of shows, yeah. you got to watch Billions. So I think it's season six or season seven now. It's great. It's on Crave, comes through, I think, Showtime. I'm excited for it. It was kind of broken up a little bit during the COVID there where they had a half a season, then a kind of another half season popped up. So this morning before the Peloton, I rewatched the end of last season. So I'm prime ready to go now. Ready for this Sunday. It's one of the benefits of getting up at three in the morning. Oh, yeah, it's great. <laughs> you can catch up on any TV show you want. I was going to say, because we're doing this in the morning. You've already tested negative for COVID, done an hour workout, watched an episode of Billions. I just rolled out of bed. A couple sales <laughs> meetings at the office, signed oh some God. checks, and I show up at your house here and we're <laughs> ready to record something. Right on. Well, how can people find out more about what you're doing over at William Wright, Corey? People can reach out to us anytime at our Vancouver office at 604-428-5255. They can visit us on our website at williamwright.ca, where they're always welcome to drop me an email at corey at williamwright.ca. Always happy to hear from people. Love talking real estate, so feel free to reach out anytime. And last but not least, all of the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast episodes live with write-ups at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Your website one-stop shop, I should say, for all things real estate related, residential and commercial. That's VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. And maybe we should leave it there, Corey. Yep. Sounds great. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Take care. Subscribe today.